Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week we're in conflict, yes, Baz and I are in combat. Not literally perhaps, but on the gaming table certainly. With me as always, my good friend Baz, how are you Barry? I am rolling initiative as we speak, prepare yourself. Well, thankfully I'm on hold and ready for action. So, <laughs> this week we're going to talk about combat. It's a big chunk of lots of games, isn't it? It's uh, one of those things you can look at in the index and takes up bunches of pages. So why is it so important to our gaming, Barry? What's your first thoughts on why the majority of more traditional role-playing games have a big old combat section and maybe not have so much of, say, a magic or a treasure or whatever else? The combat one's always the main and the biggest one. Why is that, do you think? Might it be because it's fun? And, and, I, and I think that probably not everybody's going to agree with that, and there's loads of people who say that it isn't. But it's a bit like, uh, it's a bit like pop music. Somebody's buying it. Because it is absolutely everywhere. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> it might not be critically acclaimed as meriting its own chapter, but at the end of the day, we spoke about this with experience and character generation. I think stuff is popular for a good reason. I really like combat in games, with the caveat that I only like it if it's good combat. But you could say that about any element of a role-playing game. But good combat is a beauty to behold. Um, and I do get a little bit grumpy when combats are bad because they've probably got the most support out of the rule book, as you say. There's usually a good old chunky chapter devoted especially to it. So I get a bit grumpy if we don't get good combat in a game that actually wants you to have combats. So I liked it in the first game I played. I liked it in the last game I played. I think combats are cool. Uh, probably not all session. A little bit of light and shade, definitely. Um, but I always appreciate combat coming along when the game is starting to fall a bit flat. Okay, so does it? This is a possible controversy as well. But does it start out okay and get worse the longer it goes on? And I'm not just talking from in terms of one particular session where you're playing D and D and you're fighting some trolls or whatever, but also as you go up the levels in D and D, for example, say so you get to 15th, 20th level and you've got lots and lots of hit points and saves and protection and all this kind of stuff. Do those sort of games then become a bit of a grind fest? Is it still fun? Is there a sweet spot that we can hit where maybe, say, after four or five rounds of hacking at each other, that's probably plenty for most people and we should be moving on? Uh, and if it doesn't scale that way with your levels or whatever game you're playing, is that perhaps a problem or is it not so much? Well, that, that's, that's a massive can of worms to open right there, mate. Because, yeah. Because um, <laughs> first of all, which D and D are we talking about? So let's not talk about D and D at all because it's got so many different variations and and, and every edition. Do you want to talk about Earth Dawn? Quite weirdly, yeah, we'll talk about Earth Dawn or Rune Quest or Traveller or or any other game. I think you make a really good point, mate, and I think it's one that that perhaps designers could spend a bit more time thinking about, which is what do you want from your combats? So. I know where my personal sweet spot would be, and I, I certainly wouldn't advocate that every role-playing game in the world has my personal sweet spot on its design list. <laughs> but it'd be handy if it did. But, it'd be nice if it did. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice. But I think a combat for me is 20 minutes of pacey action, and I think that would be a longish, satisfying combat for me. Uh, I hesitate to use words like sort of boss encounters or stuff like that, but I think 20 minutes would be a a good juicy skirmish and I'd be pleased with that um, anything longer than that and I think you can't help but drift a bit unless your game is set up to be exclusively one big slugfest uh, which it could be in say Feng Shui or maybe a couple of supers games but that's where I would pitch it for um, and I think if, but on the converse of that apart from some combats which aren't really combats they're like pseudo combats where maybe you're like you know um, putting a chokehold on, on some guards and silently killing them while you're stealthing into a warehouse. That's, that shouldn't really be a combat. That's more of a stealth trick or something like that. But they often get played as combats, if you know what I mean. And I, I'm not that fond of combats that take fewer than five minutes or are over in one round. I'd rather other mechanics were used for that. So, so my sweet spot starts somewhere and ends somewhere. What about you? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I find it if you play something like Savage Worlds, for example, I always find it odd when you dealt out initiative cards and everybody gets ready, and then the first guy just seems to take out the body, and you're kind of like, okay, I'll have all my cards back now, and we'll, we'll carry on with the story. It, is, yeah. it doesn't feel like it was worth all the, the manual effort and everybody getting excited to then have nothing come out of it. But mm. Yeah, a, few, a handful of rounds, I guess. I don't know. It's, you know, Anything sort of three to six goals each is probably a good amount. I mean, we've, we've probably got a hangover from... 
the war games, and that's why there's so much fighting in a lot of role-playing games. Obviously, there's different games out there, and the stuff we start talking about with combats in inverted commas could equally be conflicts, couldn't they? We could be talking about yeah. social conflict or hacking into a computer program or anything like that, really, which we'll probably get onto later, I would imagine. But I think fundamentally, it's kind of some some action in a game, isn't it? It's some kind of fight or struggle where there's risk involved. And I think you want some level of uh, challenge to it, otherwise it feels unsatisfying. But if it's mm. going on forever, people lose interest, won't they? You need to change the scenery every now and again. So, yeah, if, if everybody's got sort of three or four goals at something and there's a resolution, I think that's a good amount of action. Yeah, I mean, going back to D&D, because I don't think you can help it, D&D 4th edition actually tried to put some maths behind this and they absolutely set their combat dial so that combats would take on average six rounds to play and one of the reasons they did that was as you described it, it's quite disheartening to have an npc which in the previous edition might have taken up two pages of closely typed text to put his stat block down uh, and it, it barely gets his dagger out let alone cast a spell or does anything important so you know having an opponent on the table for four to six rounds was seen to be a pretty sweet spot and it would only need as many stats as it needed for that particular, uh, for its role, which was to be an opponent for four to six rounds. We're talking about orcs here, you know, stuff like that. So that all yeah. made sense. Um, there's there's other reasons why fourth edition combat is a bit unique, and they're not all advantages, frankly. Um, a lot of it's a matter of preference. But at least that was a game that tried to have a combat system that was designed to do something it's arguable whether it achieved it or not, but I'll give it props for at least having a go at being a, a particular thing, rather than just it's it's in the book because it's been in all the role-playing books before. We've got to have a combat chapter uh, because we don't know how not to have one. Um, that, that, that Those games are, are, are getting rarer, perhaps. I think there's a few games now without combat chapters, aren't there? But they all have extended skill-use chapters, I think. Yeah, they do. I think most games still seem to have the options for fights, and I don't know what I don't know quite what it is, but if you've got a social conflict or something like that, you can't seem to put the same punchiness into it. If you know what I mean, like I can always think of a table to leap over, a chandelier to swing from, or a, mm. a particular type of lock or a strike or some sneaky maneuver, something like that. If I, if it's a physical struggle, but trying to come up with different ways of trying to outwit someone quite often feels very flat yeah uh and and i think it's quite often failed for me in terms of feeling because you can have an argument in inverted commas with the npc and you'll make some really good points and then the dice let you down and everyone around the table kind of goes oh no hang on well what he said was much better or vice versa mm. you know, you'll just say something rubbish but get a really good role and so you win and it, it doesn't feel because it's all there out there if it's just a conversation you can sort of see it laid bare, whereas if it's a fight going on in your head, I think you've got much more scope for imagination and cool stuff to happen, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's there's loads of skills, um, player skills and GM skills that you have to bring to bear in extended conflicts. And and combat's one that I think, yeah, let's be realistic now, I think we've just had loads more practice at doing sword fights and laser fights and gun fights than we have at doing courtroom debates or God help us, seductions. I think we just act. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in our fantasy lives, clearly. Uh, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, but having, and having said that, it's role-playing games that have trained us to to do headbutts and kicks and punches, isn't it? And they all have as well, even, even the ones that, that say they're not particularly about combat. I mean, Call of Cthulhu's got as long a combat section as, as any traditional game has got. Um, and there's, there's combats to be had. I think, and I like it. I do like a fight in a game. I really like a fight in Call of Cthulhu because it's interrupted the fairly morbid investigations I normally end up in, or the tedious ones. Uh, <laughs> but I think one of the differences between the old social conflicts and uh, physical conflicts is is the prospect of death. So way back in uh, the, orig the origins of role-playing games, one of the most exciting things about combat is there's a very real chance you'll be tearing up your character sheet at the end of it. That's been softened and mitigated a lot over the years, I know that. I, I have no fear of character death, particularly in modern games. Um, but, that, but that was one of the reasons for it. And I think that rounds and hit points and armour and 
and then later on stuff like Benny's or Fate Points or whatever were to were to make the game a bit more granular but there was always that fear that that you you really are staking quite a lot on this whereas with your social conflicts and stuff I suppose you could be staking your life it's unlikely isn't it but you might you might be staking freedom or a bit of inconvenience is is that is that a major difference and maybe why it doesn't feel so visceral yeah probably it's very rare that you're arguing for uh, not to be hung over the scorpion pit isn't it it's normally <laughs> can we have some help on this mission or can we have some more gold please or something like that yeah yeah perhaps I think you could always there's games like um, the sort of burning wheel style ones burning empire and I had a lot a decent social mechanic in there but there are the kind of the firefight mechanics that they had were much better we had a squad and you had to like take out a space station or something and you'd like move from cover to cover and did all kinds of cool things. That firefight was just much more interesting than the social mechanic, for me anyway. I don't know. Part of being in a fantasy game is that you, you're sort of representing something that's not yourself, is it, as well? So it's hard work for you to be a silver-tongued uh, lawyer or something like that if you're just not. Uh, so it will kind of fall down because you're just going to roll dice to see whether you're really eloquent or not. Mm. And there's no representation of that necessarily. So I think that's probably another element to it. Yeah. Could be. I think people are probably better at it than you think, though, to be honest with uh, uh, Genuinely, I mean, I'm no good at fencing. I've never picked up a fencing blade in my life, but I can kind of describe it. And I've certainly never cast a magic spell in my life, but I can describe them all. I, th- I think we may have touched on this before, but I think if you're in a social situation, you might not know exactly the words. But I think if you just take a step back from the narrative and just say, you know, um, I'm going to get get up in his face and get all hostile with my argument. It doesn't mean you've had to pick the words to make it work. It just means you've, you know, you've stated your intent, which is the equivalent of like I wade towards the enemy, swinging my battle axe in a in a flurry of blows. It's uh, it will do. That sounds more effective as well. I think I'd need that, or I could have used that a lot more in past games. Should I say? There's been many a time uh, a player said something, and then I've tried to interpret it and give them a role, and mm. said like, okay, well, you know, that's an intimidate or whatever. And they said, oh, I was going for persuade, I don't know what you mean. And so it would definitely cut out some of the misunderstanding if you just <laughs> uh, l- labelled your manoeuvre rather than tried to spell it out literally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think that hurts in anything because I think, um, you know, take the magic card. Bear with me on this, it's going somewhere. Or, or any card game. Uh, uh, card games are brilliant because they get a, a mechanical effect and a bit of narration out in about 15 words. Um and whenever you're playing a card game, after a while, you don't need to say what the mechanics are because you've you've mastered them after a bit. So if it's like, you know, you get plus one to hit for the next round, you probably don't say that anymore. But between the two of you, you and your opponent, you know the picture. That's what gives you the mechanic. And that little line of flavor underneath it, which was, I don't know, he was taught at the Black Cloak Fencing School. That's that's really cool. But, but when you start, and, and when you're in a role-playing game, You've got a choice of either, in your head, reading out the mechanical line of description you want to achieve, or reading the flavour text that you've got in your head, or both. And people tend to do one or the other, and rarely both. But sometimes, mm. and, it, and it does disrupt the flow a little bit, but I've found it really handy, especially in quite complex games, like your 4th edition D&D, um, or even things where you've got like multiple ways to achieve success, like you might have bluff, persuade, seduce, intimidate is just to do my narration and then quickly drop in at the end the mechanic, just so it's clear. I think clarity is worth quite a lot in games. Okay, so we're in danger of uh, drifting off into to hippiness and talking about talking too much, That's if true. that makes sense. But So yeah. let, let's let's get back to, to fighting and assume we're, we're in the sort of games where conflicts do occur. What sort of good examples of that have we got? And it doesn't have to be a particular system, but it can be bits of things. So, for example, one we've mentioned before is an initiative system. There's the, the Marvel one, where mm. after you've had your go, you get to pick which character goes next. And at first blush, it seems like you just pick all your own team. But what happens then is that the baddies get a go, and a new round starts, and they get to pick someone else. So they pick themselves again, and the baddies all go again. Mm. So there's a nice little mechanic there. What are the good mechanics that we've got for making a good, robust combat? Yeah, so I guess we should start with initiative, shouldn't we? I think that's a good call, um, because that's where combats tend to start. It's weird, right? Initiative is one of those, again, I think it's another hangover from original D&D. It's one of those things that every game seems to include, and I think 90% of them don't need to. It's, it's like encumbrance and experience points and alignment, and 
I'll tell you what, mate, if we ever write our own game, it's going to be about 15 words long because we don't like most of the stuffing. <laughs> it's, it's all useless. Um, but Initiative's weird because in all the films I ever watched as a kid, like, you know, my sort of pulp genre adventure films, the only time I, and, and even now, we all do this, right? Yeah, when you're watching a combat or a Jason Bourne fight on a screen or any of the movies, you are translating it into a role-playing combat, right? I mean, we all do that, yeah? So yeah. when do you ever see the need for an initiative role in one of those things? Because the only time I can ever think that it's justified is if there's like a, a high noon Western shootout where there's basically a duel going on and it's rolled to see who draws first. Because the rest of the time, initiative seems to be one of those things that, you know, the fiction, for want of a better term, just tells you who's going next. And if it is about parceling out so that everybody has one go each, well, I kind of understand that. Um, but I think you need initiative from a really gamey point of view to avoid to avoid things just falling flat when when the bad guy just, you've got five players shooting it in the face and it just can't survive that. It needs to get a chance to get involved in the story. And you, and you don't want to hand wave it and go, it's immune to the first six shots fired at it. That'd be no. good. So, so I kind of get stuck on initiative almost straight away. And, and I enjoy quite gamey stuff. Like, uh, is it Feng Shui's got shot clocks? That's always quite fun, where you count yeah. down through stuff. Uh, unfun is stuff where you know, there's a particular character class, like the solo in Cyberpunk, that has a special ability that means it gets to have five goes for everybody else's one which looks good on paper, but gives everyone else the chance to go and eat a sandwich between turns. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, for combat, you want to make sure everyone gets a go, don't you? That's basically it. Yeah, I think there's a problem with the Feng Shui. Actually, I haven't properly read the second edition yet to see whether they've fixed it or not, but some of the character archetypes had a higher shot number at the start. And basically, when you do uh, something, it takes like three shots so if you've got like a 15 initiative, you get five goals, and that goes up and down depending on the type of ability you use and if you defend yourself and all that kind of stuff. But you get a bunch of goals, and an old master might have an initiative of six, so he gets two goals. So that that's where it kind of fell down. That I like the the to and fro bits. That if you made a defensive maneuver, your shots moved down, you won't get a go till a bit later in the in the sequence kind of thing. So you had mm. to pick that balance between whether you're going aggressive or defensive and the fluid nature was good. But yeah, it did suffer a little bit, certainly in the first edition from certain characters get to do a lot and other characters have to hang around and wait. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't so good. So I guess the, the, the sort of opposite to that where you don't have initiative, I, I quite like as well, is stuff like Pendragon where you've got opposed roles. Mm. So you kind of take it in turns, but you and your opponent or opponents all really dies at the same time and the best one wins kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now that seems much better um, because ultimately what we want to know from any of these fights or combats or struggles or anything is who's got the upper hand who's doing well, don't we? Yes. And I don't think you need so much of the attacks and parries both sides and not a lot happening. What you want to know is two people have struggled who came out on top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And not necessarily in an all or nothing way but certainly for, the, for these few seconds who's looking best off and who's looking worst off. Yeah, I think so. And there's been there's been loads of systems that have got close to doing exactly that, but they always make it way too complex or not clear enough that that's what they're trying to do. I'm sure it was first edition Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay that had advantage and disadvantage. It's got that means something different these days in other games, but but it was if you won the previous combat round, you got plus to something, whether it be your attack or your damage, or you went up the initiative order. And if you're on the losing side, you got a bit slower. So there was there was a bit of to and fro and about leveraging your advantage. And that was and you know the Warhammer Fantasy roleplay combat system wasn't exactly uh, elegant or even sophisticated. It was fairly functional, but it had that bit in it, and, and that kind of that added a bit of movement to combat. I think movement's important, whether it be physical movement or something is happening, so that so that each round you've got a different state of play than the previous one and it's not mm. just repeat round one until somebody falls over on the spot that's important <laughs> to me and and a, and a good initiative system can do that marvel heroic like you suggested with popcorn initiative does that i think um but, but other games just just say like go round the table and I, I, they're probably not that much worse i think a lot of this maybe comes out from the from the description perhaps yeah, uh, another interesting one, which, again, I think there's a lot of this with the one-roll engine system, certainly godlike, that it looks good on paper, 
and yeah. it makes sense and it, there's a lot of internal logic to it but when you play it it can suffer a little bit so in godlike you go on i think it's either sense or brains it's something like that but you go in order of who's least sharp to who's the most alert kind of thing yeah. and you make your statement statement of intent so you say what you're intending to do and then you roll your dice and that tells you how fast you go and if you hit and all the rest of it all in one roll hence one roll engine mm. which sounds cool but the problem can be that you're trying to hit someone and they've already run off by the time it comes to your turn which might make the sense that they were quicker and they saw what you're doing and got out of your way but from a player experience point of view you, you've already said what you want to do and you roll the dice and it doesn't happen or you don't get, even get to roll your dice because it's already out of scope based on what's yeah. happened previously in the round and that can be a bit frustrating so it seems good but it's probably better for, I don't know, maybe a computer game system or something like that where all the adding up and taking away is done for you and you actually get to do something rather than just whiff in inverted cameras. I've, I've tried playing that. I, I know you have too, quite a bit. I, I just I just lost control of it as a GM. I've got the statement of intent thing right, going around the table. That worked okay. Um, although, interestingly, it depends who you ask first, doesn't it? Because there's an advantage yeah. in that. <laughs> so maybe you need a pre-initiative initiative. Uh, but that bit was okay because that that wasn't uncommon. Um, I think Earthdawn had that. The otherwise perfect system has declaration of intent in it. Um, certainly mm. early D and D had it, and I think um, it carried into a lot of games. But nobody used it, did they? Because as soon as you've got your declaration of intent and then your own initiative, when somebody's go comes up, you say, "What do you do?" and they tell you again, but they tell you in a slightly different way because even they can't remember what they said ten minutes ago. Yeah. And, and and in one roll engine with gunfights in World War Two, oh, it just fell apart, mate. I had no idea. And it's not exactly a game that 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 suggests you use miniatures and battle mats, but there were occasions where that might have helped. Yeah, yeah. peculiar, peculiar idea, really. I can't believe that the designers use it. No, I've seen other people use it at conventions, and instead of the rather idealistic thing, which sounds good, where everybody rolls the dice at once, and then you work out who won or who went first or whatever. More often than not, when I've seen it at a convention, people tend to do it one-on-one anyway. Right. In which case, there's not a lot of point in using the one-roll engine system and doing all the statement intent stuff, because you're just going to do it as a I'll go, then you go type function anyway. Mm. So, yeah, disappointing. I think maybe if you have a small group of maybe three players or something, you can make it work. But once you've got like five or six around the table uh, and several NPCs, it's a bit unmanageable, really. Mm. Okay. In my view, anyway. No, fair enough, mate. There's there's as many initiative systems as there probably are role-playing games now, and it, it may even be that it's one of those things where you design a new game and you think, well, I'd better design a new initiative system because that seems to be otherwise otherwise I'm not writing a, a role-playing game. Uh, some uh, maybe not. I don't know. Right. Let's let's just say we've we've got our our players and our, our antagonists in some kind of order. Then, so I guess yeah, the everyone next gets thing, a go. Everybody gets a go, so right. So we've got like you know six people are going to have a go. Uh, so the next traditional step is to roll attack and then damage separately. So I'll throw this one out there then. That that's that's really trad to do that. But outside of combat, if you were trying to pick a lock on a door, you wouldn't make a pick roll and then a how quickly the lock opens roll. So what's that about in combat then? Does that add to the game or is it a a vestigial mechanic? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's there's certain things like uh, old editions of D&D. If you have more armor, you're harder to hit. Uh, Mm. Whereas other games might have your armor actually protects you when you get the damage. So there's a a little bit of messing about there depending on whether you're going for the very similitude of actually wearing armor and being protected but getting hit more often and getting chipped away at or whether it's just a you're zeroing the sum and just sort of saying, well, you know, you'll get less, hit less often, but you still take the full damage. Things like the New World of Darkness system are a pretty good thing where your defense comes off the attack, so the attack will be less effective. But that fell apart. We played a sort of science fiction, cyberpunky type thing. We want to make Simon. Uh, and he had guys in stealth suits like uh, Predator in the movie, so you couldn't quite see them. So he had loads of defense dice. But what that meant in mechanical terms was you only ever got one dice to hit them, so you just chipped away at them. Uh-huh. So was, they were really hard to hit. And then you just nick him every time. There was no way of making a really hard roll, but getting a headshot and killing him outright, if you know what I mean. So the, the mm. system really couldn't handle that kind of behavior. So it's very funny, because the, the other way I've noticed as well people sometimes do it is make a hit roll and roll the damage dice as well. And then if you hit, it's fine. You roll, you roll the dice and you've got your damage right there in front of you. Yeah. So that speeds all that up. But then you do get the problem that people get disappointed, don't they? 
because they look at the damage dice, they've maxed out, they've rolled lords and go, hooray, he's definitely dead. Then they realise they actually missed. And then they feel like in inverted <laughs> covers, they wasted a roll, even though it yes. makes no difference. Yeah. So it's all very funny. I, I think, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm in two minds about it. It's definitely an old roll to hit. And then if you've got things like RuneQuest or other ones, you've got a chance to parry as well. Mm. So that could lead to some awkward games where you've only got a 50% chance of hitting, and then your opponent's got a 50% chance of parrying it. So actually only one in four blows land. And then when mm. they do land, you roll your damage and they might have armor and you take the armor off so you might not do any damage anyway. So I guess what I'm looking for these days is more for something to have an effect. Like I say, it's that kind of, you roll and you want you want something to come out the back of it. You don't want to roll and hit and then roll damage and fail necessarily. Or you want there to be some implication from what you've done, yeah. perhaps. I don't know. To a greater relative extent anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Um... I, I think this this attack hit business is kind of like it's the key to so many other decisions in your game. If if you've only got five minutes to check out a new game in your friendly local game store, look at how they do that bit because it will tell you everything you need to know about the entire game. I think so. Mm. Clearly, in in trad D and D, which is where two hit and two damage kind of originated. Well, everything originated, didn't it? It's I don't mind it. In fact, I'm fine with it because it's very gamist kind of construct, and I quite like the idea of playing a game. Armor class makes no sense whatsoever. It's the least realistic thing ever. But this is in a game that's got dragons and beholders, so who cares about that anyway? But at least it's consistent. And and when and if you can deal with it, if you if your brain's okay with you having it, at least it's going to be consistent all through the game. I mean, rolling damage at the same time as to hit, I think, is really cool. Um, if I roll like you know a one to hit and max out my damage dice, I think that's that's kind of smart because that kind of that tells me that the narration should be that the arrow um, missed my opponent by yards, but what it hit absolutely exploded, <laughs> and it's probably kicked over a brazier of burning coals or collateral damage or taken out a you know some innocent bystander and their head explodes. Or similarly, if I roll like, you know, a massive to hit roll and tiny damage, it's, you know, it's the most precise blow you've ever made. And you've probably just sort of carved your initials into your opponent's throat, but, but like, you know, to the depth of a shaving cut. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can narrate any role. That's why I like role playing games. I like narrating roles and seeing what the dice tell me and it, and it throws up something new. What I, what I like less. Is, is rolls to hit and then opponent gets to make a parry because then you know the narration goes over to the opponent for a minute and it's a bit of back and forth about trading sword blows where I think I'd rather just package it up and, and to hit and damage together gives you enough variables. It's, it's one of the few times in D&D where you don't just have a yes or no to your answer if you roll them together. It makes it uh, more than a binary roll. So I don't mind that. I can absolutely live with it. But I think the same as you, I want there to be something that happens as a result of the mechanics interacting with the fiction. I can't do combat purely on fiction. I don't really want to do it purely on mechanics. That's, that's what role-playing games do best, is that middle ground for me. Yeah, um, I quite like Legend of the Five Rings. I've not checked out the most recent version, but I can't imagine it's massively different than the other three versions that have gone before it. I think John Wick, when he was originally writing it, wanted to have the combat. Basically, if you get hit by a katana or a samurai sword, you just die. <laughs> that was basically that was his combat chapter because it's a killing sword, and if someone hits you with it, they fucking kill you. That's yep. the end of the story. Yep. Uh, but it kind of got persuaded out of that to make it a little bit less lethal, so that people might actually buy and play his game. Um, and it's not much different. I think if you get hit twice, you're probably dead. So it's a probably. bit different. But that does it does give you that kind of real. A uh, sense of danger and that sort of thing. And I think Pendragon's quite similar in that if you take a good critical blow or something, you take a lot of damage, and then it gives you fear for your character's life if you do care about your character and that sort of thing, of course. But there's a real definite blow. Um, so it, we, we're kind of straying into territory of should you have things like uh, wound penalties and that kind of stuff, because I feel there should be something. It's one of the the old cliched arguments against the D and D type games where. You know, you'd have 100 hit points and lose 90 of them, but you'd still be all right and carry on as you were before, and there'd be no difference. Mm. And that seemed to jar in people's minds. So um, there's, there's kind of pluses and minuses for it. Um, I definitely think there should be some kind of impact 
and an impetus towards winning if you're on top uh, without totally screwing someone over perhaps and give them no chance of continuing. Otherwise, start rolling dice for that comeback because you've already decided what's going to happen. Mm. But it's something I do see in Savage Worlds, for example, which I really like. But once once someone's got, like say, three wounds, which is about as many as you can take before you get knocked out, you're at minus three to all your rolls, and that's a massive penalty. Yeah. And then a lot of the time, your turn comes around, you try and do something, you just fail because you've got such a massive penalty to your dice rolls, and people do get frustrated with that. So should we should we have wound penalties and things like that, or disadvantages? Uh, should, they be, should they be temporary maybe for a round or two, and then you get a second wind? What, what, how would you deal with that kind of stuff? Uh, I, I, for any kind of combat mechanism, I look to D&D for, because it does it really well. And I, I totally agree with you that the death spiral is no fun for anyone. Um, so it might be more realistic. I totally get that. You know, if you get a shot in the ankle, where you, well, let's not even get into gunfights. We'll probably cover that in a minute, because getting shot is, is <laughs> it's not like Hollywood. And getting shot in the no, let's not go near gunfights because it's just a can of worms. But um, in we got to go back to our initial statement, which is we like combats to take you know five or six rounds, be fun for everyone. But in that five or six rounds, you don't you want to have feel like you've got a chance to contribute even up towards the end. So um, wound penalties seem like they should be a good thing, but it's a little bit anti-fun sometimes if you've got no way to come back from it. So, you know, D&D 4th Edition does exactly what you just suggested with with temporary conditions um, that you get a chance to shake off at the end of any round. Some of them are a bit harder to shake off than others, which seems fair, um, but you get a chance. And you, you literally do have Second Wind as an ability as well. And it's designed to mirror those kind of like cinematic, uh, like Lord of the Rings film combats, as opposed to Lord of the Rings books. Um, and it does that very well because it's set out to achieve that kind of thing. If you don't want your combats to be like that, you're kind of out of luck. If you want your combats to be a bit more like you would see in a cop procedural show, I suppose, then then it doesn't do that sort of stuff. But it does the kind of combats I like, so so I would like it. I think one that's interesting is the way that fate handles combat in that it delivers consequences. I've yet to see a really good, fully statted out example of combat in Fate, and I've run an awful lot of Fate games and played in some too, but combats always feel a bit flat to me. I'd like to see one go all the way through and see how consequences line up. So for the uninitiated, a consequence is like a, a, a phrase that you can apply to your enemy, and it might be sprained ankle or winded or um, black and blue or, or bleeding out for that matter. And that, that phrase is something that you can use to inflict further damage on them later on down the line. So that's, and they've got levels of, of recovery to them as well. So I quite like the idea of like naming the condition, because that seems to fit in with role playing, doesn't it? You know, the idea of narrating stuff, adding a bit of flavor and so on. But I haven't really seen it come out in Fate. And I know it's not a game that you, you've got a lot of love for, guys. Have you seen any big combats in that or, or even, you know, powered by the apocalypse is is the other poster boy for modern gaming, isn't it? And that's another one where combats I've not really seen them at length. Yeah, um, fate. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I've not really seen it. Sing. I've had some fun, like you say, if we had a narration bit, then you get to roll some dice and stuff. I've had some fun encounters, but I've not seen it do anything particularly delightful that I thought, oh, right now I understand why people get this. I don't know. It, it seems very much plus two, minus two on everything you do. And the consequences sound cool, but end up just being something the gem can punch you in later for a plus two. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it's up to a player to play up to them, I guess, if you've got a consequence. If you've got, whatever, a broken arm or something. But uh, <laughs> weirdly, it does feel a little bit like movies. Like someone does get shot in the arm, and they, they they hold it for a couple of seconds, and then the next scene they've forgotten they've got a broken arm. Yeah, and that's how it feels when you're playing Fate. Actually, that you'll get a consequence, but then a bit later on, you it's kind of forget no you got it. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess it, if you want pulpy movie types stuff, it does emulate that in mm. style of play. So it probably works quite well from that point of view. Um, the apocalypse stuff is a little bit weird as well. That you can take quite a lot of harm out of nowhere. Mm. Um, it's kind of got a good thing so that if you're if you're in a gunfight or something, if you decide to pull shooters on a biker gang and they shoot back, the chances are you'll probably take some harm as well. You might win. You might win the conflict. You might cow them. You might send them hurtling away from you or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. But the chances are you'll take some harm 
in the process. So it's kind of that reciprocal thing, which is fine. You can't take much, but there's kind of a get-out clause where you can cripple yourself and erase all the harm that you've taken and stuff. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a game built for combat. It feels like it's if there is a fight, then it's a last resort, and you, you know everyone's going to take some scars away from it. So you don't want to do it too often, I guess. Mm. Although some archetypes are built, like the Gunlogger and things like that, are kind of built to just deal out massive amounts of harm and lay waste to all around them. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's one where I have seen a good write up for. If you look on the Big Purple, Vincent Baker does a brilliant um, sort of uh, actual play or whatever. I think an assault on a, an oil rig or something like that, or it's yeah, got I've a gang it. with some machine guns and stuff it? like that. It really, you really want to play in that game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it reads brilliantly, but I've not really seen anything played out that way at a gaming table, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. Maybe you just need Vincent Berger to run that game for it to, to sing. Or, well, or I do. I know a lot of people get a lot of fun out of it, but you know, I, I've not seen it. Well, one of the things I do, you know when we talked about characters the other week and we said you know, the first thing you do with your new role-playing book is generate a character. Well, the second thing I do is generate another character. And then the third thing I do is make them have a fight. So <laughs> is, is, that's normal, isn't it? I think. I don't know. Maybe it's not normal. Um <laughs> <laughs> but but I want to I want to test it out and I, and it's solo play so I don't need to be you know justifying every sword swing or anything else like that it's just a dry run of the rules and I quite like sort of like road testing it I do it even if I've got a board game before my pals come over to play it I kind of set it up and play through a couple of turns just to learn it really and I think you know mm. having having a fight in a game is one of those things where you can just have a go um, you know you you roll up your ranger. You stat up half a dozen orcs, and you have a go in in a kind of a white box environment. And I think I would like to see, I would like to see more games enable me with that because when I look to games like Fate, which is a game I really do like, or Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a game I really want to like, I kind of go to people and say, "Tell me about about how, what would happen here. Just dry run it for me." And, and every answer I get is, it depends. What does the fiction say? And it's like, well, I'm going to add in all the fiction later. Just tell me mechanically how it works. And there's not enough game there. That And that is a matter of personal yeah. preference. I get that. I do get it. But I like to layer my fiction on top of a sound mechanical base. And, and I just don't buy it with some games. And nobody seems to be able to explain it to me. It's like I just don't understand the language. Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I'm pretty similar here in that respect. But I think a lot of people don't care is that the right way don't care about the system maybe mm. uh they, they, they don't actually care that much about the mechanics of what's happening they rather would just want to say you know tell a story and like for people like me certainly possibly yourself as well when the system's not right or things don't work the way i think they should or it's not internally consistent i get quite frustrated mm. and it takes me out of the game the fiction of the story then because i can see all the wheels turning they're not turning properly and they keep sticking and the gears need oiling and things like that yeah so it, it sort of spoils the game for me. I think I know a lot, hell of a lot of other people who just play a game and just want to be told what shape dice to roll. And they don't give a monkeys whether the system's robust or mm. where all the failing points are or all the rest of it. They just want to get on with the fiction bit and say what sounds cool, which is fine. It's a way of playing. It's just not my personal preference, I guess. I like all the fiction stuff. I'm like you. I like to tell a story. Mm. But I, similarly, I want the the underlying base to be pretty solid as well. Okay. Well, I, I doubt very much we're going to convince anyone listening to this podcast that, that, that there's too much system, not enough system, whatever. You, you, everyone's going to have their own personal take on that. So how about if we just sure. look at, at combat as as a device within scenarios or within campaigns or within settings? So, you know, moving away from the mechanics of it particularly, what, what part does it play in plots? So, for example, Feng Shui is the game of Hong Kong cinematic action. And its scenarios are pretty boldly laid out. It's have three fights with some connecting tissue between those, and you've got yourself a decent session. And you have. Guess what? That's that's great. Um, and that's a structure that you could take into Call of Cthulhu, but I don't think it would sit particularly well. Is is there is there in trad gaming? Is there is there a session that would benefit from having no combat, or would you always like to see a combat in your sessions? Do you know what I'm getting at? It's like, does it have to be there for it to feel like a game? Well, it's odd, isn't it? Because I've spoken to a lot of people, and we've had the similar conversations ourselves, where 
you come out of a session, you've played for four hours and no one's rolled dice and you all uh, you all high five each other. Oh, that was amazing. That was such great role playing. And it doesn't matter what the system is because you haven't touched any dice or had any fights or discussions or picked any locks or anything. So it's a weird one. But it depends. If you it depends, I'm trying not to say that. But mm. if you sign up for a D and D fourth edition game and don't get to fight anything, I think you're probably missing out there. I'd be a sad player. You know, what I mean, you might have had a nice political discussion out there. But if you bought that, that set of books and read all the rules on spells and weapons and fighting and five foot steps and everything else that's in there, and you don't get to use any of it, you're kind of like, well, why are we playing that particular game then? Yeah. But, you know, similarly, if you play a hot war and you're looking for a tactical skirmish game and want a battle map, then you, you've got the wrong tool for the job there as well. So mm. it depends what sort of game you're after. I think from our old man perspective, you kind of want the bits where you have a discussion, maybe a bit of investigation. You want to get rough and ready and pull your swords occasionally. Uh, you know, you want to corner the bad guy and have a big boss fight, perhaps. There's certain chunks of things like watching a, a good popcorn movie, something like that, you expect to see and do. But I guess they've got to come out naturally. I think one of the things that we used to suffer from in the old days, and certainly I heard from players, was along the lines of if there was some baddies, then they'd say, well, we've got to be able to beat him, otherwise they wouldn't be here. So that comes uh-huh. down to that kind of realism thing again, that you were kind of expected to have uh, opposition and also expected to be able to easily beat them up. Mm. And that's possibly gone away a little bit. I guess it depends on your gaming group, but... I think if you want to turn to, to swords and blades and weapons, then there should be opportunities to do that that are appropriate if that's the sort of game you're in. But possibly it comes down to the conversation you have before you start your game, you know, before you start your campaign. Oh, what is it we want out of this? Yeah, I, I wish it did. I mean, it, this might just be the players I see. I like to think I've got a fairly broad knowledge of players and I've played with hundreds of people over the years. But I tell you what, mate, if you put an RCN PC in your scene, a player is going to draw a weapon. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you think you're going to run a low combat game or not. I think players love it. Even the ones who say they don't, they they love to escalate to violence. I know we sort of are the worst. Oh yeah, we we covered like unknown armies a few weeks back in the cast, didn't we? A, an excellent episode, by the way. I recommend it to anyone. Uh, and one of the things in unknown armies is it says, you know, you really, really, really need to think twice before you pull that trigger. And it goes into great length about it. And it's actually quite moving, I think, the way it talks about violence and that we shouldn't really treat it as just a piece of popcorn. It's it's really brutal, nasty stuff for a reason. But you know what? That's, that's all well and good. But when it comes to games, I have lost count of the amount of times that someone who appeared to be quite meek and mild-mannered, given the slightest provocation, loves to have a sniper rifle, get up onto the high-rise tower... And make bad guys' heads <laughs> pop like watermelons. <laughs> and that doesn't yeah, even take a round-by-round combat. People just want to do it. They want to get up in people's faces with axes, even if all you did was was deny them entrance to a nightclub, thinking this isn't going to be a scene. <laughs> this certainly isn't going to be a combat. <laughs> yes, it is. Is that a learned behaviour, though? Because I've I found that... It, it does feel like a hangover. I remember playing at uh, Conception, I think it was, and uh, Claire, the nice young lady, was in the game, and she was amongst all these testosterone-fueled blogs who had a couple of beers and were ready for a fight. And they went into this nightclub, and there's a Russian mob boss-type character there, and I immediately started playing him as confrontational and arrogant and in-your-face and all that kind of stuff. And you could see all the rest of the players around the table already reaching for their virtual weapons and about to pull them out and start shooting despite the hundreds of civilians around and all the rest of it. And she tried to talk him down and was really demure and acquiesced to everything he said and, you know, played to his ego and all the rest of it and pulled out some nice persuasion role and he's like, cool, you resolve that situation without shooting anyone in the face. Great. Uh, <laughs> but she was quite new to roleplay at the time and to her it just went like, well, how am I going to deal with this uh, boorish, bullish bloke? Well, I'll just, you know, act all feminine and, you know, talk my way around him because, you know, I can twist around my little finger. Mm. Excellent. Thumbs up. But all the lads, I think, just thought, all oh, right, this is the bit where the fight happens because there's loads of goons and a mob boss, so we best get our guns ready. Right. And I don't think it was because they're necessarily belligerent. I think it was just that learned behaviour of playing games for so many years that go like, this feels like a fight now. Oh, he's got a layout of the club that he's put yeah. down the table, so there's a map. We're definitely having a fight. Who's rolling initiative? And maybe it's just a learned behaviour from kids who've grown up playing D&D all the time. You expect in certain situations that it's time to pull weapons. Yeah, as a counter-example, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I played a, I ran a game for, uh, for four players, two of which were brand new to gaming. And, uh, and I picked Trailer Cthulhu because I thought, right, 1920s, everyone loves a bit of that. They like a bit of murder mystery. Um, people like Sherlock Holmes and all that kind of stuff. I know it's not exactly right, but you know, it's our world. It's the 1920s. And we can do a bit of investigation stuff and all the Cthulhu stuff can be a slow reveal. And that will be the genre element. And it won't be too freaky. And Trader Cthulhu is well rules light and it's very investigative and a bit Agatha Christie. Yeah? Great. Yeah. Within an hour of questioning a, uh, a hobo, because it was set in America in the Great Depression. So there's some guy who hasn't eaten for two weeks and he's got a sign saying, like, you know, we'll, we'll work for coins. Within, within an hour of finding this NPC, asking him a few questions, getting answers they didn't like, one new player tipped a can of gasoline all over him. The second new player lit a match. <laughs> so, <laughs> utterly That's just the people you hang out with, though, Baz. <laughs> I think it is. I think I married one of them. <laughs> You're covered in gasoline. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Although, interesting, that doesn't, yeah, okay. doesn't require a combat chapter, does it? It's just a... <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> Unless you play an exalted, and then the, there's a full chapter on that. Yeah, I I think players are are quick to to escalate to violence, and, and and actually I think in some scenarios it's people wanting a bit of a release because in some con games that are going a bit slow, this that or the other, you think, oh let me roll a bit of plastic, Billy, I'm getting a bit bored. Honestly, I think that's what yeah. they do. So is there anything left in our little chapter on Cabot that we need to to cover off? There, we've rolled initiative, we're attacked, we've done some damage, we've maybe been impaired or not. What's what's the next stage? Is, we've got kind of a, a death and recovery. I, I mean, one thing I sometimes forget about, and I see quite a lot, is um, bodies or opponents fighting to the death. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You get you get attacked, and it's one of those things that can make a combat last too long and get really bored. But yeah. a pack of twenty wolves attack you, and you kill seventeen of them, and there's three of them still fighting and chewing at your leg, and you kind of think. I'm sure yeah. after like maybe half of these wolves have got the backs broken, the rest are probably going to find something easier to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I'd, I'd see exactly the same. I've done it. I've done it myself. I've I've lost count the amount of D and D fights I've had where every goblin fights to the last hit point. And it's um, I think it's just I don't know. You just forget sometimes, don't you? Original D and D had morale rules in it, which were brilliant for ending a fight. Uh, very quite wargamey, but you know I should remember those. But there's 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 things you never see because you've got a great big combat chapter and you've got a great big death and dying section within that. You might see a chase section in a trad rule book, but it won't be as big. And that's because people never run away. Um, yeah. <laughs> legitimately, you, you know, if you try and intimidate a bunch of players, they're going to escalate to violence. And if they do escalate to violence, it's going to go to death. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing in the modern world, the Wild West, or the far future. There's a kind of lawlessness and just devil-may-care attitude towards, <laughs> towards violence that people go for. And maybe that is tempered a bit by, as you said a little while back, people don't think they're going to die and they think the, the, the opposition are going to be level appropriate. So mm. they think, you know, why not? There's loads of reasons why not. Um, and, and they don't all have to be with, to do with realism, do they? But I think, like any scene, once you've wrung the best of the juice out of it, it's probably time to move along. And the, the only reason I don't is maybe in the back of my mind, I think the player's going to feel like they've been cheated if they don't get the last three or four mop-up rounds. But of course they wouldn't do, would yeah. they? They wouldn't do, really. We, we'd all be better off just like saying, well, that's just that's how that one goes then. So after a few more seconds of like you know putting your sword through the unconscious goblins, you gather your loot and move on. I don't think anyone would mind. But I just don't have the stones to say it. I don't know why I don't. Yeah, and it's funny as well, isn't it? Because quite often there's some kind of penalty for leaving. If you want to like disengage with enemy, run off. It's probably more lethal to stay in there and carry on fighting. So, mm. as players, when you shut them options out there, they probably think like, "Well, I'm better off just fighting to the death." Because if I try and run, he gets a free strike on my back, and then mm. I'll die. So I might as well carry on. I've got a better chance if I stick with it. So, I think sometimes systems make it that way out. It's just it's easier to fight to the grim death rather than run away or concede or get some other thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a really interesting game called Torchbearer, which is um, a really modern rules take on, on classic Dungeoneering. And uh, its combat chapter is, is a work of genius. I don't know how it translates in gameplay. I've not really played it very much, but 
on reading it, it looks really good. And one of the things is setting the stakes is that your combat, there's no such thing as a combat. You actually do all have to choose what sort of conflict you're having, but that might be to drive the opponent off, or it might be to stand your ground, or you know hold your position, your territory, because those are those are kind of like two objectives to combat. Whereas in a lot of games, even the ones I've run, nobody really ever gets around to saying what they're trying to achieve in a fight. It's just it, it falls to the, the default, which is murder. And you actually have to pick that as, as a conflict in, in Torchbearer. And then as soon as you do, the death card is on the table. And it's real because combat in that is quite brutal. And you may well lose your character and there isn't easy resurrection or anything else like that. But it does have to be a combat that the whole group has kind of set up to be to the death. And it should be a big ooh moment because otherwise most of the time you want to like fight the gnolls or the goblins is because you want to clear them away from that room or you want to fight them off because they're attacking your camp. You're not that desperate to see them all chopped up into little pieces. Not enough to put your own life at stake. And, and it's an interesting question that gets asked. And I think unless you did ask that question, I'm not sure many player groups would suggest it as a, this is the outcome we're looking for. Because it goes, as soon as you roll initiative, it goes round by round, doesn't it? You're only ever asking what do you want to achieve in the next six seconds, not, not what do you want to achieve in this scene. That's, yes. that's framing, though, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's that's a worthwhile exercise in trying that. I might give that a go. Um, I'm thinking like stuff like Hot War, where you have a conflict, you set up your stakes in advance and then go for it. So there's there's no reason why you couldn't do a similar sort of thing in terms of what do you want to get out of this. Um, obviously, in some situations, the gnolls just want to eat you, and that's the end of it. Then mm. they're just going to eat you. <laughs> but you could drive them off as your goal. That like, it doesn't have to be murder everyone, like you say. Mm. I think I'm thinking a similar sort of thing that's popped up now a couple of times we've been talking is the the Jarbacombie books, the blade yes. itself and all that kind of stuff. And there's a character in that called Logan Ninefingers, uh, and he's kind of got separated from his band, and his band of guys are kind of trying to refine him or make their way through the wilderness. And they're forever encountering groups of buddies or opponents or people who might try and rob them or kill them or whatever else. And every time they all have to sit around and talk, is it weapons or you know? Do yeah. a scale that mountain and walk round or whatever else. It's always a real conscious decision about what they're going to do. Mm. And then once or twice when they pick weapons, the next scene is them all stood round and one of their number lying dying in front of them, and they're yeah. all pretty upset about it and thinking, was weapons the right choice? Mm. So I think that kind of stake setting up front, even for games that don't have it as a as a rule, is probably a good thing to add some gravitas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing I'm always trying to do with my games. Um, and I'll never be brilliant at it, is, is to give players choices. Um, and dilemmas is better than choices. Uh, but if I do it, I tend to put them all through the plot, you know, at a more meta level. Um, and and that's, that's, you know, it's a good place for them to be. But a combat should be full of choices. Loads and loads and loads of really big ones at the start, and then loads of ones in the middle, and then the big one at the end about whether you finish somebody off or whether you flee and leave your companions um, or whether you, you take one more swing to see if you can get another bag of gold from out from underneath the dragon. These should be really big choices with big stakes. And and maybe maybe a return to the old days of like, your character sheet could well get ripped up here. I don't know if that's the answer. Because <laughs> you won't end up with that many players after a while. But, but you know, may, maybe maybe things should have bigger stakes set to them. Because uh, I don't see enough, I don't see enough uh, people uh, absolutely paralysed with fear about which decision to take, or you can put them under pressure and go, well, you know, you're running out of time, and I'm going to, have to put the clock on you. You've got five seconds to decide. It, it, combat feels quite safe. It's like when the initiative gets rolled, everybody can like sit back and relax and get the crisps out because <laughs> it slows down, doesn't it? <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, probably the, the last sort of major point I've got to make around combat, I think, is like other things, it's nice if the players can kind of um, create stories amongst themselves, help each other out. One of the nice features about things like Savage Worlds is you can do tricks and taunts and things, and you mm. can kind of set up opponents so that your your mates have got a better chance of defeating them, that kind of thing. I think far too often in games, I, I see people just go into solo mode and they all fight their particular baddie or ask who's next. Mm. And even choices when you say, like, okay, well, you've defeated that orc. Who do you want to go and help? 
Mm. And like they just, I see players just not that bothered. Mm. And you kind of want to say to them, well, if you're playing, for example, something like the War Ring, it's like, well, the Hobbit's your fellowship focus. He's supposed to be your best buddy in the whole world. Why aren't you immediately running over and helping the Hobbit? Why are you mm. think like who's most injured? Who should like who wants some help and put hands up, guys? It loses that story. And I'd like to see players doing stuff that's not necessarily just hitting someone in the face with an axe, but thinking about how can I help my friend out, or who should I defend, or what should we do together, or is there a way we can get round the back, or should we disengage from here, or what's that big buddy up to behind there while all these minions are fighting us, and mm. perhaps add a bit more to it, help each other out, look for other opportunities, and introduce maybe features and things on the battlefield because mm-hmm. quite often that gets missed yep. uh, and it's just like who's the nearest one I'll hit him another good feature of the one ring role playing game is that they've got um, a bit where you make a battle roll at the start and mm-hmm. you can have a bunch of dice that you can then use later on in the, in the conflict but you've got to say what it is so you use you add in an extra battle dice but it's like what has given you that advantage so it might be that you're pushing an orc back towards the fire and he's, you're singeing the back of his heels or something like that so anything that encourages more talk about what's going on around and also looking at players helping each other out in, in character rather than just saying who needs a hand in terms of the characters helping each other out and making a more dynamic fight and pushing tail into the back of someone's legs to help your opponent or that kind of thing. I think that would make it all a bit more interesting. Uh, one of the things that disappoints me slightly sometimes, and I do it myself, is you can get focused on the, the miniature in front of you and beating that one up and not thinking about the, the fight as a scene as a whole and make it all more interesting and dynamic. What do you reckon? I reckon I, you're pushing an open door there, mate, because I've done it myself. I, I, I curse myself afterwards when I finish off my opponent. The GM says, what do you do now? There's two orcs in front of you. And I say, which one looks most wounded? Like, that's weak, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, um, because that's me trying to, like, drop an orc. And it's not, and it's got the barest nod towards telling a story, <laughs> really, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so... There's a few things that I that I that I always attempt to do, and it's aspiration rather than guarantee. So please don't don't play this back to me if you're playing a game with me at a con. Um, but in between each round, I like to go back and describe the whole scene. So when we get to the top of each round, I like to narrate what's what everybody can see, hear, smell, as if they've encountered that scene for the first time ever, because it should be a dynamic and changing situation. That helps keep everybody on point, um, uh, and it helps everybody understand where they're at. That's helpful. At the same time, I like to use a kind of a free GM action to make sure my baddies say something. So it's amazing how many fights happen in silence, which which rarely, rarely happens in my favorite genres like comics. and it's, it's only Jason Bourne who appears to have fights on the TV without ever saying any words. But, you know, Die Hard, mm. if they didn't speak when they were fighting, there'd be about four words in the whole film. So I like that bit. And and sometimes you're fighting villains who you've written up a half page of backstory on, but the players will never get to find out about it. So I have them speak. <laughs> Not monologue, but it's important to get some words out, even if it's just threats or whatever. And and then finally, from a purely mechanical point of view, uh, my favourite combat mechanic is the escalation dice from 13th Age, which is simply a big old D6 that you start using in round two, and you set it to one, and every round that goes on after that, you crank up the dice to two, three, four, etc. And all of the players get to add the escalation dice to their attack rolls in that round. And there's loads and loads of little mechanical goo-gads can come off of that as well with your character class and so on. But the simple effect is to make fights get nastier as they go on and to shorten fights so they don't fizzle out and just become boring at the end. And that's yeah. a mechanic you can port into almost any game. And it's, it's really lovely, gives everybody something central to look at and equally stops everybody just blowing all of their good cool abilities in round one. So it naturally puts a nice little spread into the fights and gets it into my sweet spot. So those are the methods that, like I say, I aspire to use. It doesn't always come off, but I think I love combats. I like narrating them and being in them, even after all this time, but I still think I could do way better on colouring them in. I think that's fair enough. I really like the escalation die the 13th age stuff. I think that's uh, got good value. Um... I'm trying to think of other specific examples of things like that, but none are springing to mind that's great. I think a lot of it, 
comes down to um, players, doesn't it? I think mm-hmm. well, it's kind of a, a trope now, but the whole I hate it with my axe thing that I say I don't like. I don't. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. players quite often just say I hate it with my axe or I just hit it or whatever. And I, I kind of want a bit more out of people. Yeah. Uh, whether you, that's your preference on the table or not, individual listeners, that's up to you. But just add a bit of colour, I think, and that, that'll make everything a lot more interesting. I think some of the systems where the GM keeps track of how damaged you are and just gives you a description are quite good for that sort of thing. That can help along. Um, but yeah, just just add a bit of, bits of colour yourself. I think that's another good point you make about revising the lay of the land. I forget to do that quite a lot, but every round or periodically, you should describe what it looks like because that will stop a lot of players saying, so which one's the nearest one or who should I hit next? Who's looking injured? Because they haven't got a clear picture. After like six other lads have all had a go or lasses, you kind of lose track mentally of what's going on, don't you? So you just need a bit of a refresher to what the scene looks like. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and we've we've I think we've defaulted to talking about swords and sorcery fights because they may be the ones we have most often. But I think it gets even harder when you start talking about gunfights. Um, well, there are both. Well, yeah, exactly. And and I think for similar reasons, to go right back to the start of the podcast where we drifted a bit about social rules, it's quite difficult to narrate the pulling of a trigger and the impact of a bullet, um, especially if it misses. I mean, I have enough trouble with bows and arrows in fantasy games sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah. And you have to use all kinds of like left-field techniques to get the most out of those, which is weird because watch the film Heat, by Michael Mann, if you ever get a chance, I'm sure you haven't listened to this podcast, it's got a gunfight in there, which is absolutely incredible, and hardly a word is spoken, actually. goes on for about 20 minutes, it's brilliant. I think you'd have a hard time putting that level of, of tension and pace into a role-playing game with any rule system, no matter how good it was for combat. It's just quite hard to narrate. Um, mm. and, and, and it seems like a real shame, because because there's a million sci-fi games that have never really gotten off the ground for me because they've stumbled at that stage with like lasers and that kind yeah. of stuff. So ranged combat, which we haven't really differentiated from today, Burning Wheel sees it as different enough to give it different mechanics for. Most games would give it exactly the same mechanics, but I find it much harder to GM or play. Hmm. Yeah, with Burning Wheel stuff, all the players need to know the rules as well as the GM, and you all need to know what all the options are. So you can make informed decisions about what you're doing. And it's hard to get that buy in because they're normally quite big books or quite big sections on doing stuff. And a lot of the time, players want to turn up and just shoot at things. They don't want to have to have memorised 20 pages of rules and what the best counters are to certain manoeuvres and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. if you can get a group together who are invested, then it's a, it's a really good system. But otherwise, it struggles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, a lighter version, actually, something like Mouse Guard is quite good. Mm-hmm. I know um, the the writer gets very upset if you say it's Burning Wheel Light because it's not. It's Mouse Guard. It's a completely different system, but it is Burning Wheel Light. <laughs> Maybe Burning Sorry. Wheel is Mouse Guard heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's good because it's chunked up into like you have three sections to each round and you pick your manoeuvres with little cards if you've got them or you can write them with a bit of paper or whatever, but you might attack, manoeuvre, then defend, or feint and attack twice, or whatever else. And you and the GM do it separately, and you decide as a group, and for each of the cards, someone different's got to take that action, so it gets split up with the party. Uh, and then you kind of unfold the decisions you've already made, one at a time, and do each round separately. So that's quite a good little mechanic. So I think having that's kind of like forethought about the sort of thing you're trying to achieve, and then committing to it, and then seeing how it um, how it pans out, over a series of rounds, and they get to reset and redo it again, have a little bit of a, a conflab, mm. and try once more. That's quite a good way of doing things. That that gives you that feel of some of the burning wheel stuff without all the mechanical weight, just giving you just enough to make it interesting, but also keeping it quite quick and light. Well, as usual in these discussions, I immediately, and I hope this works for our listeners too, but I immediately want to rush off to my gaming shelves and start a few new games. <laughs> so I, I want to play Burning Wheel, I want to play Torchbearer, which is a very similar kind of thing. I want to try out a few different things now, really. I want, I want to sit down and generate a couple of fake characters as gunslingers and have another fight at the OK Corral, see how it goes. So I, I like fights, because if fights can work, the rest of the system writes itself for me, because they're good conflict points to put in games, aren't they? They just work in scenarios. I, I don't... True that. Yeah, they just they, they work. Men with guns entering the room is a good plot device. 
So that's perhaps why they see so much use. But I think that's the end of our plot today, isn't it, mate? Are we making death saves at this point? Yeah, I think I need a healing potion. I think I do too, with half a sugar in it for me. So that will do it, I think, for this week. So that's combat. I think we'll probably return to this again and again. The inevitable comeback that some villains make, which I know you love so much, guys. So (laughs) (laughs) until next week, uh, please do look us up on our blog and uh, leave some comments there. Um, And our Patreon account is still rolling along quite nicely, thank you. Huge thanks to our patrons for dropping another couple of dollars in the Smart Party hat over the last month. We don't ask for much, but when it's given, we are eternally grateful. So that's it from me. And that's it from me. As Baz says, leave us some comments, send us some ideas, tell us about your favourite comeback chapter or what we've missed, because we love talking and hearing about games. Bye for now. Cheerio.